so glad that you're here. My name is Ross. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad you're joining online as well as in the room. Uh, this morning does look different. Don't worry. We're going to spend some more time in praise and worship by song here in a few moments after the sermon. Um, this morning, though, as, as far as where we're at in our series on prayer, it was just a unique moment that the teaching applicably applies to um, in our life to praise. And so I just wanted to take them over for that. So we'll, we'll get to that here in a little bit too. Uh, hey, as you're walking in, I wanted to just uh, bring something to your attention. You know, as you walk in uh, against the walls, kind of uh, around the sound booth there, there's a notepad you can pick up called the Sermon Guide. It looks a little different and it is available online too, ehope.org slash sermon dash guide. And this is just a way in which you can take notes along with the sermon and, and, and kind of follow along with uh, just where I'm going this morning what the Lord has for us. On the back, there's a going deeper section for you personally to go deeper on your own. And then this is the basis of where our life groups grow deeper together. And so you can learn a little bit more about that on the back. But either way, I wanted to bring it to your attention because it's changed a little bit. We've gone from a full page to a half page. And what I love about these is um, this value, and maybe you're, you're like me, uh, that the things I want to remember, I must write down. And when it comes to God's word and us walking through his word together, there's so many things we've got to remember. And I want to encourage you to write down from him. Uh, nothing special that I say. I don't want you to write down my words. I want you to write down what he says to you this morning. And so this is just a unique tool to help you do that. Uh, but again, it's online too. Um, or if you have a notes app, go, go that way. I don't want to force you to be paper writers. If you're digital in the digital zone, go for it. You know, digital zone. That sounds so old school of me. Um, sorry. Digital zone. If you're in the digital zone. Um, so anyways, we're continuing our, our series on prayer. And like last week, we uh, stepped into the reality that prayer is something we know we should, but often don't. And in that, in that conviction, we rested, okay, then how should we grow to pray? And this series is going to walk us through these um, realities of which, which Jesus taught us and how to pray. And, and last week we chunked them out um, and it started with adoration. And so today we're going to focus solely on adoration and how the Lord invites us to begin and adoring him with our prayers and, and seeking after him in greater adoration that we would start there. So as we, as we did last week, I wanted to find it for you. Adoration is this deep love and reverence for God. And in Matthew 6, 9, we see this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name in this sense of hallowed. Uh, this deep, revered, honored God in which we're speaking to, both our Heavenly Father and one in which we, um, we love, we, we revere, we honor with our lives, with our words. And so in this prayer this morning, we're going to kind of develop that unique ability, I believe, to start in a way of adoration. So this morning, I want to show you that, that beginning our prayers and adorations means we are to revere God for who he is and what he has done. So today we're going to walk through understanding who he is and what he's done. We're going to be in Psalm 145 with this guy named David, who you might know. We'll talk a little bit more about him later too, um, who God used in, in really mighty ways. We hear from David in Psalm 145. So I'm going to read it for us. You can follow along on the screen or if you have a Bible with you, a phone or the Bible under your chair, either way, start there. I'd love for you to, to read it along with me. I'm going to read the full Psalm. So it's 1 through 21. And so let's read it together. As you open your Bibles, you don't need to read it out loud with me, but I'll read it to you. Here we go. First one, I will exalt you, my God and King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. 
They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he does and, and all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds, verse 14, all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears the cry, their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. And let us open in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning that we have the ability to step in and hear from you. And God, that can happen every single day. But today we gather in unity as your church body that you've created, that you will sustain. And so God, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us. That God, through the Bible, your word, that you would direct us and guide us and help us grow in greater prayer, communication with you, God, in our everyday. So as we focus on adoration and how, Jesus, you taught us to pray this way, I pray that we would do it right, that we would seek you fully, that we would chase after you with all we've got, for we love you and thank you for this beautiful day and for each other. In Jesus' name, amen. So you picture, you know, in your life, most likely you have taken many trips to the grocery store, right? I mean, throughout your life, if you think of it, there's moments where you go every day. I don't know if there's daily grocers, sure you people out there, every week, every month, if you're a teenager, a kid in the room, every year, once a year, you maybe go with your parents. All that to say, we often frequent the grocery store and in this unique uh, moment we get to walk in and make our plans and go buy for them right and so we think of like we have these plans to be healthy we have these lists to fulfill and make sure we have what we need all these types of things when we go to the grocery store what's so unique about a grocery store though is they really tempt you at every corner literally right every corner of the grocery store is full of things in which entices you to buy it such as candy bars bags of chips all these things right and you think man that looks so good. Man, you end up buying it, right? It's just like there and you're ready for it. So in this, in this concept of a grocery store that we encounter pretty frequently, we, we go throughout it. We have plans to be healthy. We go after it in the right mind. I want to choose the right things. And time goes by, maybe 20, 30 minutes, maybe an hour, hour and a half. I don't know how long you may spend there. You look down at your cart, still nothing and nothing's in it. It's still empty. Yet you look up and find yourself in the chip aisle. You've been there the whole time. You're, 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 you're literally thinking, okay, do I want Doritos this week or today? Or do I want Fritos, right? Do I want Lay's, this flavor or that flavor? Or do I want the odd flavor of the month? I don't know, whatever they're producing out there. And what you recognize in that moment is that in all your aspirations of being healthy and choosing the right things, you're starting in the wrong place. 
you're starting in the wrong place, right? Because choosing a bunch of chips for your week will most not li- likely not lead you to meeting your goals of health. So you're starting in the, in the wrong place. Here's the reality is that starting in the right place is rather important to us. That's why in grocery stores, naturally, they try to start you in the right place. How many of you go to a grocery store, it leads you to fresh produce, but you take an immediate left to process chips. You know, it's just like all that is reality to us. And so we, we, we value starting in the right place. And so we must not be surprised when Jesus, through the way he models, the way he teaches us to pray, starts us in the right place with God, puts us in the right position with him, reminds us in the right way to seek after him. See, Jesus in his prayer, beginning in this way in Matthew 6, Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name, is starting us in the right place. Adoration, the reality of what it is, starts us in the right place. Beginning our prayers in adoration is extremely important, but to do that, we must revere God for who he is and what he's done in our life. That's how we practice the way of adoration, starting in the right place. And so to, to further understand that, we're going to dive in a bit deeper into Psalm 145. Again, David is this guy in which he started as a shepherd in Bethlehem and then has now arrived to be the second king of Israel. So God has really profoundly worked in his life, taking someone who was, who was sinful, broken, who, who had his moments, and still God used him for his glory in mighty, mighty ways. Yes, the same David who defeated Goliath by the Lord's power. Yes, the David who was faithful to an end. Yes, the David who had faults. But God still used him in a mighty way, and we get to hear from him today and helping us understand and grow in a way of prayerful adoration. Now, in this context, David is beginning to describe both the circumstances he experienced, but what he knows to be evidently and, and, and truthfully true of God. And so Psalm 145, we're going to start in this. Point number one, if you're in the notes with us, is this, who he is. How we grow and starting in the right place in adoration is recognizing God for who he is. We see these statements starting out in Psalm 145. The Lord is great. Verse one, I will exalt you, my God and King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. And so David cuts to the chase. We call this starting, the, you know, like starting off right. He sets the tone in his statements, right? Because what does he first open by saying? I will exalt you, my God and my king. He puts God first. I, I, I will praise your name forever and ever. And we see that pattern again. Every day I'll praise your name forever and ever. So, so David's like, in, in, like insistently starting in this powerful pace. We love when we set the tone, Right. We love when our team sets the tone of a game and scores first. We love setting the tone, right? So much, so much so that oftentimes when we don't in our day, it feels ruined. We call that waking up on the wrong side of the bed. Who, who created that reality anyways, the wrong side of the bed? When I go and buy a bed, I think I'm trying to buy where all sides are right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't go in and say, you know, I'll buy this bed, but this is the wrong side. But I'll still buy it because I know I'm not going to wake up on it. You know, what we're recognizing is, you know, our spouse or, or whatever it has settled into like, a, you know, your bed gets like used to you. And so then you get in their spot and you're like, this is the wrong me. So they feel like me, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, so in reality, uh, starting off a tone setting moment in our life is important to us too. When we wake up first thing in the morning, what do we do? 
ho- hopefully take part in some biblical study and, and seeking after God first for our day, hoping hopefully plan to, to sit with him and be still with him to know that he is your God for the day. He was anyways, but like you're going to put him in that place. Maybe brushing your teeth next after that. This is for teenagers in the room, okay? Brushing your teeth, taking a shower, okay? Putting on deodorant. You're welcome, parents. You know, all that kind of stuff. We want to start our days off right. Setting the tone's important to us. David does that so clearly in Psalm 145. You're welcome. Sorry, teenagers. I see your parents looking around. <laughs> giving that look like you didn't do deodorant today. You know, I, it's all right. So the Lord is great. He sets the tone. And not only that, delivers the practice by which is daily. David not only sets the tone and saying, I'll exalt you, my God and my King. I'll praise you forever and ever. But every day I will do so. And so it's not only an invitation to set your tone, but do it daily. Do it by practice each and every day to set your heart desire on him first by recognizing who he is. David acknowledges, my God, my King, do you? His heart shifts, my God, my King, the one does yours. See, recognizing who God is is a start and beginning to our adoration of prayer. See, great is such an interesting word because it's overused in our day today. Naturally, we, we context everything is great if we like it. And yet that can sometimes minimize the greatness of God when we state it, that he is great. But he's greater than the sandwiches you eat. He's greater than the friends you have. He's greater than the possessions you hold on to. Those great things are probably good, but he's great. Only to him we can say how great thou art. Nothing else matches. Nothing else is equal. He is too great, far greater than all we may claim be great on earth. In our friendships, in ourselves, whatever it may be, he's greater. David's uh, aligning, residing, sitting in that place in Psalm 145. Do your prayers include that? If we continue to see these attributes in which, which David invites us into of God, we begin to see these statements, the Lord is, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Psalm 145, 8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. That is who he is. He's slow to anger with us, even in our sin, where our sin should afford us death. Yet his grace and compassion offers us, affords us life if we choose it in him. See, this is who he is. We're starting in our prayerful adoration, recognizing God for who he is. For he is good, Psalm 145, 9. The Lord is good to all. He's compassion. He has compassion on all he has made. The attribute of God to be compassionate to us, although he's so great, yet comes to our level and recognizes, has compassion for where we're at in sin, where we're at in separation, where we're at in deficit. He knows compassion goes so far as compassion should in our life. If we have compassion for our friends and our, and, and our communities and our families, it should so go, so go far to show its way in an act of what? Love. Compassion leads to greater love. And so to say the Lord is compassionate, then entices us to understand his greater love for us. For he's so great. He is so good. Above all, Lord of all, as David said, God, my king, and he was the king of Israel. He then says, okay, He's so great and so good, yet has compassion for his people. We see in his grace and his love for me and you. His, comp- his compassion is astounding for us because it offers us life, not only for eternity to come, but for today, my friends. 
for tomorrow that affords us life in which we can experience with him intimately here on earth to be made full when we're with him in eternity. The Lord is good. His compassion of all he has made. And this theological reality in this is known as common grace. And we see this on all he has made. It reminds me of, we were recently in the Sermon on the Mount series in, in Matthew 5, this moment, this, this phrase in which Jesus said, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. See, see, this common grace by God is just this common compassion for his creation. Now, it's limited in the sense of um, there's a time frame in which we must choose to follow him or not, and then there'll be judgment and consequence based on our choice. Consequence in the sense of if we choose not, we, we are then internal damnation apart from him. Grace and compassion in the sense of if we choose to, we inherit eternal life with him. And so in this complex, we exist in this this common grace effort right now that, that allows us with certainty to look to our friends and look to those who are far from God and say, hey, God loves you and has compassion for you, even though you not know him. See, see God causes blessings and goodness for you and just, exi- and just still living, even though you far from him. See, this helps us understand the heart of God for his creation the heart of God for me and you. It's great. It's good. It's who he is. It means your neighbor, your friends, your co-workers, your family has love that's able to be received fully in Christ from God. That he's compassionate on all he has made. Has this common grace for all he has made in this time in which we may choose. Psalm 145.13 leads us into understanding God's trustworthiness. The second half of verse 13, it says, The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises, faithful in all he does. Verse 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. You know, to, to understand a God who is trustworthy is probably partially experienced too in how you've say, seen him show up in your life, but also in the ways in which he delivers on his promises. And, and so it might be helpful for us, and oftentimes we forget on what does the Lord promise to us that he fulfills through us, that in us, that he, he gives to us faithfully? Let's go over a few of those promises that, that God gives us, right? First, really important one is, is God promises salvation to all who believe in Christ. He promises salvation and eternal life and eternal, uh, eternal vision, but not only that, a, a, a daily today capturing of our heart, changing of our lives that he promises comes in the way of Christ. We see that clearly in, in John 3.16, Romans 1. We see this reality, God delivers on his promise by giving us the gift of Christ. God promises comfort in our trials, 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. That although we face hardships, although we face... And hopefully you'll really like it. But by him, the fullness of his presence with you, by him, he delivers his comfort to you. In him, we find our comfort in our trials, and that's a promise in which he upholds. He's trustworthy for. If you maybe think of a trial you faced, a hardship you faced in your life, where you've been comforted by God, that's him delivering on his promise. He's trustworthy. He promised all things will work for the good for his children, Romans 8, 28. He promised to give us our needs, Matthew six thirty three. Seek first my kingdom, I give you everything else. He promises to fulfill and give us our greatest need. And finally, he promises in the way of prayer, 
to give us peace when we do so. That when we pray, Philippians 4 says, he will deliver us peace to guard not only our minds, but our hearts. That God, see, we, you see, he makes these promises in which he, he's faithful and trustworthy and, and, and owns them and delivers on them in our life, in our personal walk, in our everyday. For David's statement is true. He's trustworthy and righteous. He's good and great. All of these things encompassing how we can focus on who he is in our daily prayer walk and adoration and starting right, starting with who he is. And second is this, David invites us to see what he has done. The way of adoration and applying it in our prayers and starting on the right foot, and not only it begins with who God is and exclaiming that, but also stepping into recognizing what he has done. Psalm 145, 14 through 16 says, The Lord is provider. It says, The Lord upholds all who falls and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing that we can know God as great provider. We can look back in our life even today and look at where God has provided. Maybe even for those of you who are recent to the faith, you get to look back and say, God has provided a way in Christ that I have now recognized and taken hold of, accepted as true, that he has promised me eternity with him and newness of life today. Maybe those of you who have more seasons through walking with Jesus get to look back and acknowledge that years ago, but everywhere in between where he's provided and showed up. God, you in that moment where it looks so grim, it looked so tough, God, you provided financially. God, in that moment where my marriage was broken, you provided health. We're still together because of you. God, in those moments where my kids felt far off, God, you provided hope. You provided opportunity in which I spoke truth and they accepted you. God's provision, if we look back, gives us this greater framework to, to step forward. And here's kind of what I mean by that. If we start our prayers in adoration, looking at what he, who he is and then what he has done for us, what he has done for creation, what he has done, period, we begin to look back on his provision for us and then step in confidently in what's to come. Think of it kind of like, like, like this. If you think of like your life, kind of like those moments, you look back at those moments God showed up and he was faithful. And what does that stir up in you? That stirs up this confidence that he'll do it again, right? This trust and faithfulness that, God, you are the same God. You are righteous, which means he can't apart from his own character. Like, he is fully righteous, fully God. He is fully great. So, God, if you showed up for me then, you will now. That gives us confidence to step into the new season of uncertainty. Gives us confidence to trust him in even the hardest of times. We look back, gives us confidence to move forward. And, and David brilliantly doubles down on that in Psalm 145.4. And we see this, this reality of the Lord consistently moving through generations. And David brilliantly uh, gives us these statements. He says, they do and I will. It's like this uh, reaction statement he's giving here, which I think could apply to us in some way too. And Psalm 145.4 says, one generation commands your works to another. They tell your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. So David here, in context, is looking back on the generations that have come, that, that are current, that, that are coming to be, and he's saying, 
you know, one generation to another, they tell of your goodness, God. They tell of your greatness. And, and here's where this can get kind of hard to understand because naturally in our culture, we exist in what's called generational gaps. Let me explain that. Uh, and it's not something we maybe willingly step into at times, but oftentimes may uh, fall into. And I call it generational gaps for this reason. You know, we often live in a time and an age right now, we see the generation coming up and, and some of our first responses is this, what, what's, what's going to happen? This is so scary. Like, this is so grim. And then we start using words like this, man, it's hopeless. They're completely lost. They're done for. Nothing good could come of that. Oh, well, then we're getting deeper. Then we begin to settle, and maybe we don't say out loud, we begin to settle in the reality, in that context, that God could do no good with them. And that, my friends, is a generational gap, in which maybe we've intentionally stepped into at times, or accidentally fallen into, in our words. But here's where David is, is, is really identifying what crushes that is when we see what God has done and we trust him and confidently step into what he will do and what he will do with the generations to come. Here's a few things we lack whenever we say things like that. One, we lack empathy, naturally. Empathy is this idea that we have compassion for those in which we maybe not know so well or maybe know somewhat well, and we have empathy for their situations. So you think of it like me. I was never teenagers in the room. I'm not, I'm not big into Snapchat or anything like that. You know, I'm like, if stuff happens on there, I'm like, it's dangerous, it's bad, whatever. And I'm like, how can people use that? And it's going to be a good thing, yada, yada, whatever. I can feel that and I can create this generational gap. But if I have empathy to say, I used to be a teenager too. And I used to do some dumb stuff too. I used to understand the world that way. See, that's where empathy grows and that gap is closed. And then what do you do? What do you end up doing? With compassion and empathy, you reach and help right? There's no more gap if you practice empathy. See, oftentimes when we say those things, we may lack empathy. One, uh, one other thing is we may miss the reality that God is working in our next generation, that God is at work doing something. We may not have perspective or understanding to see it, may seem grim and hopeless to us, but God is doing something with that generation. It's not all lost because if we know and settle on what God has done and who he is, right? We then step in confidently to say he's the same God who cares the same way about that generation. Compassionate, loving, slow to anger, just as he was with mine. So if that all adds up and he did something with my generation, that was probably mighty and good because that's who he is. He's in the business of taking broken things, hopeless looking things, and bringing what? Hope and, and healing and, bring, and bringing, uh, you know, might out of that, bringing his, his will out of that. And so instead of creating generational gaps, David is, is so brilliantly showing us this reality of when we step into a place of acknowledging God for what he's done through generations, we step into hope to be those who break the gaps and lend a hand. The I wills, they speak of your glorious splendor and I will meditate on your wonderful deeds. So, so I see what the generation is up to, the good that is there, and I praise you for it, God, because you're doing something with them. They tell of your power and your awesome works, and I'll proclaim your great deeds. God, I see what you're doing. I see the baptisms of kids on Sunday morning. 
I see the testimony of students standing up, professing their faith in school. I, I see students like digging in, diving in and, and trusting in your word and giving their lives over to you. So then I will not further generational gap, but step in and praise you with them. And this is the beautiful part about how, how God has designed generations to cohesively bring about his will is that he's asking for further unity, not disunity, further trust and help in him and not gap generationally. So that means when we see them turn, we can turn to, to God. Say, so you're the same God and what you have done is so great. And that's a piece of our adoration. Prayers that begin in adoration put us in a position to pray God for who he is and what he's done. Generations to come, generations to be. I spoke with a guy after the first service. It was so great because he, he was an older gentleman and I was able to just say, you know what? Thank you. Sometimes I feel like the young generation made distance from, the, from an older generation. I got to step in and say, thank you for your faithfulness. See, it goes both ways, students, kids. It's not, we're the rising generation, get out of the way. But we get a look and say, God did something great then too. And now still doing something great with this generation now too. How might I see what God's up to? Let's, the, the reality of starting our prayers in the right place in adoration, recognizing God for who he is, our heavenly father, hallowed be his name for what he's done. All of these things, is, it gets extremely hard. Because if you recognize the way in which Jesus is starting us in the correct way, requires us to be in, be put in, placed in the correct place. It requires us to be placed below God. And that can be extremely difficult. That's ex- it's completely against maybe some of our sinful desire or what? Because we personally want to be our own gods. We want to know our own way. We want to do our own thing. Our ideas are the best ones. Our ways got to be the best way. God, I know your word says that, but like, I know what I'm doing is like just right because I just know it. It's my way. And yet as we start in the right place and recognize it's extremely hard, we think back to the grocery store. And although buying that healthy food and eating it is hard too, what's the reward? Health. What, what, what's, what's the reward in putting God first? It's that he would make your path straight. It's that he would guide you, direct you as Lord, King of Kings. Oh, King, my King, David says. Fully number one in our lives. When we place God in the right place, he will make our path straight. Yet often we might start in the wrong and still expect the same. When it can't be if he's second to you. Or it can't be if he's third to your favorite things. He requires to be first. And in our prayers and the way Jesus is teaching us, is encouraged by adoration, we must place him there. What enables us to pray in this way? Think, Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. What enables us to know God for who he is and what he's done? And it's Christ. I think what enables us to pray this way, it's our adoption into his family. That once we are sinful, broken apart, yet still sinful, we accepted Christ. And he then clothed us in his righteousness so that we could be with God. What enables us to pray in a way, Heavenly Father, is to know that we've been adopted by a God who loves us 
and is our Father. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, we're going to start, go to verse 4. Uh, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely given us in the one he loves. We see then his compassions turned to love in Christ, is seen powerfully in his display in Jesus, and that what enables us to start in the right place is after all Jesus. For we cannot be approaching him as heavenly father if we're not then adopted to be his heirs of the kingdom, his family. We cannot approach him for how great he is unless we first come to the great one who affords us life, gives us grace in Christ. For he is rich in love and full of mercy. Acknowledging God for who he is moves us to a place of praise, my friends. Because if you think of your life and you look back and acknowledge him for truly who he is, it spurs in you what that inward emotion does, comes outwardly in praise. So God, I praise you. So God, I thank you. So God, you are great. So God, I place you first. So God, I put you above me. And so today may look different, uh, but I'm going to invite you to step in boldly. Because today I know we started with one song, we're going to end with three. Naturally so, because if we remember David's words in Psalm 145.7, they celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Today we get to take part in singing of God's righteousness together. So would you stand up with me? And I'm going to open in prayer as we just sing a few more songs. And you, wherever you're at, you can begin a prayer of adoration by your song of praise today. That, that you can put God first and foremost in your life, even today, as we acknowledge we must say who he is and what he's done to fully adore him for the God in which has delivered us Christ and shown us his compassion and mercy. So let's pray. And like I said, there's going to be a few songs. You can lift your hands. You can move wherever. That's totally fine. Uh, but I would just encourage you to praise him this morning with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are a God who is full of compassion and mercy for us, that, that you love us, God. You love us so deeply and intimately that you send your one and only son to die for us so that we may know you. And so God, unlike any religion in the world, following Jesus is different. You're not a God that requires us to be enough, but yet you send your son to be enough on our behalf, that you come to us and invite us into relationship with you. And through that, we find truth, we find hope, we find life, not only for eternity, but for today. So God, I pray that, that by your name would be praised in our acts of songs, by worship, that by our, our movements just in our everyday from this place, that they would be uh, just movements of praise and obedience to you. God, we thank you. You are so good and so great. May our hearts know it, our minds think it, may our actions resolve in it by our everyday commitment to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.